Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is uh, Peter Englert. I'm a pastor at Browncroft Community Church, but I'm also the co-host to this show. I am with uh, the intelligent and illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. Wow, they keep on getting better and better. Hey, you know, we we got to. And um, our fantastic and flexible producer, Nathan Yoder. So today we have an awesome podcast. Um, We're responding to the question, why do we worship athletes? And I'm really excited to be interviewing Kyle Porter. He's from CBS Sports. And um, Aaron, before we get started with Kyle, you know, what do you think about this question? I mean, I think it's a a great, uh, I think it's going to be a great conversation here. I'm so glad that Kyle's on on with us today. Um, Obviously, athletes are, are, you know, athletics is a huge part of our culture. And um, I think this is a question we need to ask, uh, especially, uh, you know, there's so many great sporting events going on. And we, we, you know, what do we do with that? So anyhow, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Kyle, welcome to the podcast, and uh, that's a great segue. So, Kyle, why don't we start here? How in the world did you become um, a sports reporter? Share a little bit of that journey with us. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question I ask myself uh, often (laughs) because... It, you know, I didn't, I didn't set out as a kid to have a job covering golf. I loved reading and I loved writing. I loved books. I loved, uh, obviously following sports. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And then as an adult, all those things kind of converged together. Uh, I would say providentially at the right time. Um, you know, out of college, I was working at a, at a, company that did insurance and retirement for, for churches, actually, uh, perhaps for your church, but, um, Guidestone, I, I, it is Guidestone. Uh, That's where my retirement is. That was for free. Anyways, keep going. There you go. Uh, everybody should check out Guidestone. It's a great place to work. So I worked there for a couple of years out of college. And in that time, I, I knew I wanted to do something, uh, on my, like, uh, I, I know I wanted to have a side hustle, a kind of a, a something that I did on my own. I've always been, I would say, fairly entrepreneurial. I liked building things. I liked creating things. And so while I was there, kind of on the side, I started a an Oklahoma State website called Pistols Firing that I ran for, it ended up being almost, I guess, 10 years. I sold it at the end of 2020. And, um, you know, out of that, I met some people in the golf industry and, and I kind of realized in starting that website covering Oklahoma state sports that I wanted to do that as a, as a profession. I told my wife, um, that I, that I really thought maybe someday I could. And so she kind of, the way she tells it now, she kind of laughed about that. Like, yeah, right. This is actually going to lead to, to to something, um, which I'm like, thanks for the encouragement. That's, that's, you know, that's sweet. But, um, she said, okay, let's give it two years. You can run this Oklahoma state thing for two years and we'll see what happens. And at the, I think it was the 23rd month that I had been doing it. Um, I got the job at CBS sports. I, I interviewed with, um, I, I met some people in the industry. Like I said, I met, uh, Jonathan wall, uh, who covers equipment. I met Shane Bacon and actually ended up taking Shane Bacon's old job at, uh, CBS sports. And I, I, I recently had dinner with the guy that hired me at CBS. He's since moved on. And I said, what? I had never covered golf before. Why did you, why did you hire me? And he was like, I, I really have no idea why we did that. <laughs> I was like, again, more, 
more encouragement. That's great. That's helpful. Uh, but no, he, he, he did go on to say like, you know, you had kind of built your own thing. So even though it wasn't necessarily golf related, there was, there was an entrepreneurial aspect. There was, Hey, you did this side hustle on your own for a long time. We think we can trust you with this. And you know, it would be years before I would really figure out what I was doing in the golf world. Some might say, I still don't know, but I was really grateful for that opportunity because being a sports writer and getting to have a column and cover golf and go to the masters and the U S open and the Ryder cup and all these things. Um, that's a dream. Like that's a, that's a really amazing job that I'm very grateful for. So that was kind of, uh, not a very short, uh, version of, of how I got into, uh, to sports writing. So, let me kind of give you my perception about sports, um, just kind of coverage. And maybe this is why I feel connected to you and kind of what your experience has been. Um, I feel like sports reporting now, it's all about who's the greatest of all time. Can we have a hot take, you know? And I guess what have you learned about reporting sports now that you're doing it with one sport, um, as opposed with Oklahoma state, uh, Cowboys, um, what do you wish our listeners knew that they don't know about covering sports based on what our perceptions might be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that I think, I think what people sometimes are surprised by is the players and caddies and anybody that's being critiqued is actually okay with that. As long as you are bringing justification to your reasoning, right? So I had a conversation with a caddy several years ago at the PGA championship. And he said, he was talking about a pretty well-known analyst on, uh, that's in golf. And he said, a person is very critical at times, but they're also very right most of the time. And guys are okay with that. It, it, it's, it's no different than us in our regular jobs where if if you are evaluating me and seeing something that I do that's like, hey, I think you could do this better. I'm like, if I'm self-aware and if I have kind of some humility there, I would probably say, you're right, I probably could. And I think sometimes we look at athletes and we look at um, teams or whatever, and we think that they think they're above that. And sometimes that's true. But I think in a lot of cases, especially in covering golf, guys are pretty realistic and maybe even harder on themselves than we are on them. So I, I think that's something that people might not know about kind of the behind the scenes stuff of, of covering sports. So you're so I, I don't know if there's fantasy golf, but so you're saying that fantasy football and fantasy baseball and all that's OK. Like, you know, it's OK to rank players and choose where you want to draft them and stuff. That's they're not taking it personally is what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, <laughs> you know, I think, I think I've had guys, you know, kind of even participate in those conversations. I did a ranking of the 10 best swings in golf. Who, who, who are the men and women in golf that have like the 10 swings that I most want my swing to look like. And I had a player text me like, Oh, you forgot to add so-and-so you forget, you know? So I, I think that, I think they enjoy that conversation just as much as we do. Um, as long as you're kind of fair about what you're talking about. So where does it, where does it kind of, where do you start approaching the line or the, we're crossing a line into not valuing that player or caddy or whoever it is as a person um, versus 
you know, just how good can you be or not good or the, the ups and the downs, the rise, just treating, treating the sports person like a, like a, a, a product that's going up and down. Yeah, I think that's hard. You know, um, I had a conversation with somebody at the Ryder Cup who's one of the top 50. I mean, everybody at the Ryder Cup's a top 50 player, but he's one of the top 50 players in the world. And he was talking about how he's like, you know, you guys are sometimes hard on me for my because um, I get angry because I get mad and that it bothers me that you do that. So I think when you kind of when you veer into like not just, okay, what your score was or what your stats are, but like, what are your emotions and kind of projecting some of that stuff sometimes on athletes. I think that's where it gets a little bit muddy. And I think that's hard because, you know, that's where a lot of the humor in, you know, I love like golf Twitter is, is super fun. And a lot of the humor is found in projecting or making up, you know, what guys are thinking or feeling. And there's a lot of innocence in that. And I think there's a lot of fun in that, but you can, you can, it's, it's difficult to walk that line and not take it too far. And I've done that at times and other guys have done that at times. And I think players know who is, um, really like trying hard not to do that. And some guys they are just, they'll just say anything just to get a reaction and players know who those people are and, and, and who they are not. Well, I want to come back to our question. I think that that's great groundwork. And, you know, I think it'd be helpful for our listeners. You know, we talked about a number of different questions of how to frame this episode. And you said, why do we worship athletes? Um, let's mm. let's back up here. How how has faith played a role, you know, as a sports reporter? And maybe, you know, help our listeners understand, you know, have you been you know, following Jesus, um, like your whole life? Was there a change? Um, I guess I'd like to hear the intersection of, you know, faith and work of what you're doing, um, as a golf reporter. That's a great question. Um, that I became a believer when I was in middle school. Um, and I followed Jesus in high school and in college and, and into a kind of adulthood after college, I would say that my understanding of grace was insufficient. I mean, it was sufficient, but it was incomplete in that I didn't, I didn't, I, I looked at following Jesus as kind of this very legalistic thing in high school and college. And that's probably not uncommon among kids or kids, people my age that grew up when I did in the United States. Um, that that's probably a pretty common thing. And, and that's kind of what I fell into. But then after college, um, at the church that I was going to in, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is where I was, um, after going to, after graduating from Oklahoma state, um, I really started to understand what the grace of God actually meant, what it saved me from, what it saved me to. And that really gave me a better understanding for what, um, for what I wanted to, to kind of do with, uh, with my life. And, and that has, um, that has evolved and grown. And that's kind of the foundation I would say of a better understanding of grace, even though I feel like there are some days where I'm like, I still don't understand grace at all. Right. I still don't feel like I have a good grasp of what grace actually is. Um, but I, I, that's kind of the foundation, that's kind of the post-college foundation that, uh, my 
walk with the Lord has been, has been built on is just a better understanding of what grace is, what it means for my heart and what it means for the way that I'm to love and care for those around me. Um, and I can't remember the second part of your question was about how that's intersected with sports. Is that right? Yeah. Even your work today, you know, I think, and I'll, I'll kind of prompt you a little bit, but you know, just the way that you talk about having fun versus, um, taking something out of someone's expense, you know, to make fun of them or their emotions. It, it seems like that faith really guides you. Like I could even say, it seems like you want to treat people created in God's image. And so I guess, what are some other ways that faith is kind of motivating you and helping you, um, in this, you know, in this role where you cover athletes that it's not so gracious? Yeah, that's, I mean, you said it well, I think that it's easy in the digital world to see my friends and my family and the people in my neighborhood. It's easy to see them as people because you're interacting with a three dimensional human being, um, every single day, right? It's harder when it's, um, Jordan Spieth and you see him 12 days out of the year and, the other 300 and whatever the math is, 53 days, he is a object, not an object. He's a, he's a picture on a screen. He's, he's a picture on, uh, or he's a, he's a video on YouTube. It's you, you always have to remind yourself that you're dealing with human beings. And I know that sounds really strange because, um, you, you should know that, but like the, the nature of the job, especially in the pandemic where people aren't traveling as much, there isn't as much interaction with players and teams and the, the actual sport. It's just, you have to constantly remind yourself of that, um, because you have to constantly remind yourself to treat other people with dignity, with respect, with honor, with love. And that's hard to, it, it honestly, it's really hard to do and still be funny. And, um, not that I'm like the funniest person in the world, but I do try to bring, like make light of this sometimes silly sport that, that I love and that a lot of people follow. And it's, it's, it's a hard line to walk. I think the other thing with golf that I try to always kind of, when I write, especially, I think we were kind of talking about this, the writer cut piece that I wrote that, um, people responded to and read and reacted to. And to me, it's, it's holding up this kind of thin veil in front of Christ who I see as ultimate. And it's holding up this, this thin kind of veil in, in front of that and, and trying to display that as best I can through golf, which is, you know, you're not going to do that when you're writing a preview of the Shriners open, you know, but you can in some ways, especially relationally, um, golf is a very, it's a very relational sport. When you play it, you're interacting a lot with other people. Um, there's a lot of downtime where you just have conversations and you talk. And so because of that relationship that is kind of engendered within the sport, I think it, it becomes, um, it, it becomes a little easier than some other sports to, um, kind of shift that into, um, relationship with, with Jesus or, um, you know, the importance of depth with one another, uh, as human beings. So 
that's a lot of words about a topic that you might not have wanted that much about, but that's kind of the way that I view um, how my relationship with the Lord affects the way that I write. Oh, that's so cool. I, I, I loved hearing that. Uh, well, I'm curious, you know, let's backing up a, a little bit, you know, you mentioned how it, it could be hard to, to have that interrelationship just because of not seeing people on a regular basis, but seeing them on TV or on YouTube or, or whatnot. I mean, what, uh, I wonder if it's even there, there's definitely that for sure. I have no doubt about that. I wonder if there's something even more to it too, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering why do we, why do we put athletes on such a pedestal or on the flip side under so much scrutiny, um, if they are, I mean, we're not even, I'm not even necessarily talking just about like the pros who you see on TV all the time. I'm thinking even going to a, a minor league, you know, baseball game with, with my son, this, you know, my son is still in awe of seeing the, the players in the dugout. I don't, you know, you may or may not know any of their names. They're not, they haven't made it to the big leagues yet, or some of them have, have not. Uh, but why, you know, I could even see that happening going to, even like maybe even like a high school basketball game, you could be like, wow, that's so awesome to see that, that player there. What is it about sports that makes us put people on pedestals or on the flip side, put them under so much scrutiny? Yeah, I think that the, the primary thing is probably just this cultural celebration that we've created. You know, if, if we put accountants and um, consultants on TV, three times a week, we would probably celebrate those professions more, right? If, if, if we put, um, you know, I, I think that we tend to gravitate toward what is put in front of us from a, um, from a media perspective, what's on TV, what's, um, what's on the rate, you know, all this started out being on the radio a hundred years ago or, or whatever within sports. So I, I think that's a big thing. I think also the idea and this is actually the idea that I'm more interested in of this ability to conceivably attain perfection, right? We keep statistics, we keep records, we keep all these different things. We don't, we don't keep at least publicly, we don't keep measurables of in other people's professions. It's kind of a, it's honestly, it's kind of a weird thing that we know like all these people's contracts and like every like very personal things that we talk about very publicly and it's just everybody's okay with it and i think this idea that you could achieve perfection based on your statistics or your performance i think that that to me is super interesting that to me is um kind of the hardwiring of our souls of like we long for something that is beautiful and perfect. And at times we believe that, um, an athlete or a team or a sport can provide that. And at times it does. There's a great story. Whenever secretariat won the triple crown and he won Belmont by whatever 31 links or 32 links, Jack Nicholas was interviewed. The, the golfer Jack Nicholas was interviewed after that. And he said, I, I sat in my living room and I watched that and I cried. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. Like Jack Nicholas is probably the first, he's the, either the best or second best golfer of all time, depending on how you feel about Tiger Woods. And he's crying about this horse winning a horse race. But I, th- I think, I think deeper inside of that is this idea of our souls long for perfection. They long for, 
um, they long to, to worship something that's perfect and sports at time can provide that sports and athletes at times can provide that. And I think that's, um, I think that aspect of it is something that I don't know that people think about that a ton, but I think that is really, really interesting when we think and talk about sports. You know, that just has me thinking, um, whenever I see like the 1996 to 1998 Chicago Bulls come on and I see Michael (laughs) Jordan there, there's this, like, it's not even nostalgia. Like it's, I remember when I was a kid, I read Sports Illustrated. I grew up as a Christian kid, and I remember I read it before I went to church, and it was this book on Michael Jordan, and it said, Michael Jordan's like a god. And I, I just remember saying to my mom and dad, like, no, 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 Michael Jordan's not it. And like, but like this feeling that came over me even now in my 30s of like watching those games that I saw as a kid, it's this mix of nostalgia and awe and things like that. And so I, I guess in saying all of that, my question to you is, how do you define worship? Mm. I think worship is what we give our our time and our affection and our um, the thing. It, it's what we give the things that we value to our time, our affection, our thoughts, our hearts. Um, and I think that, you know, that's hard because it's, it's, uh, it's convicting at times of like, am I giving my affections to this thing that can't, that does not have the capacity to satisfy, you know, CS, the CS Lewis quote of, uh, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I think that when those, um, affections go unfulfilled, we kind of chalk it up to, um, oh, well maybe the next thing will, will fulfill them or maybe it's, maybe it's my problem or whatever. But the reality is that it's, it's the human condition. It is that we were made for, um, to worship something that can fulfill those desires. So that's, that's how I would define it. I, I think you can define a worship in, a bunch of different ways and probably be correct about them. But I would just say very simply like what we give our time, affection, heart, thoughts, and, uh, and, and minds to. So with a follow-up to that, you know, how does, how does a follower of Jesus see sports and in these moments in the Jack Nicholas moments when they're crying, you know, because they've won or the moments when, you know, Tiger Woods comes out of nowhere on day four of the Masters. You know, how does the Christian see that that's so different than someone that doesn't follow Jesus? Yeah, I think that, um, so I, I used to go to the Village Church here in Dallas and Matt Chandler had this thing that he said that I always loved about how when you see things that stir your affections if they um terminate on themselves if you watch tiger win the masters and that just terminates uh on itself and you just move on with your day then that's a loss because the reality is that you and this is what chandler used to say is you can you can roll that up into praising the lord for um 
for that opportunity to watch that, for that to happen, to, to, to see a shadow of perfection. Like these are all like everything that we watch. uh, And this is what's so interesting about golf is because guys are always chasing perfection. And this is true of all sports, but maybe it's more measurable in golf. Guys are always chasing perfection and anything that is perfect like that, like what Jack Nicholas was crying about with Secretariat, that's a shadow of things to come, right? That's a shadow of eternity. Any, any perfection that we see, this is why people cry over music or a movie, like something that's so perfect and so beautiful. That's a shadow of who God is and who he will be forever. Right. So, um, I think that, to, to not take that moment and roll it up into gratitude to the Lord is a, is a miss is a loss. And I think golf is golf is very, again, unique in that it's the, it's the one sport that uses nature, God's work, God's created world the most. We get to go to beautiful places, Pebble beach, Augusta, obviously Shinnecock. I just got back from whistling Straits on Lake Michigan. These places are unbelievable. And to be able to, worship the Lord because of his created world through golf. That's pretty cool. Like that's a really, that's an awesome thing that is not maybe true of, of some other sports. So I'm really grateful for that as well. That's cool to think about the, yeah, just the, the surroundings and, um, how that, that can point you point your mind, uh, back to the Lord. Uh, so I'm, I, I am, uh, so I'm curious, Kyle, did you have a, whether it's golf or, or another sport, but I know you're in, you're, you're deeply in golf. Did you have a favorite player when you were younger? And then I'm curious as a part B to that question, after you have been a reporter now, as well as being a Christian, uh, who is reporting, how does that, how has that affected how you view that childhood hero? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So my childhood hero is kind of embarrassing in retrospect, but it is, uh, Robin Ventura, who was a, uh, he played baseball for, he played baseball at Oklahoma state and then he played for the Chicago white Sox and then ended up managing the Chicago white Sox for a while. And the reason it's embarrassing is if, if people listening to this, um, follow baseball, they know that at one point he got he got physically beat up by Nolan Ryan on the baseball field when Nolan Ryan was almost 50 years old. Um, just got, just got his, he just got smoked. They charged the mound and Nolan Ryan beat him up. So that was tough for me as a, as a Robin Ventura fan. Um, you know, my, I don't know that my love for the Lord has changed the way that I viewed Robin Ventura, because I think that, some of that was just maturing into adulthood and realizing, Oh, these, these people are just people, you know, as a kid, you don't, my son loves Tom Brady and he doesn't really understand that Tom Brady and I are just kind of, I mean, we're not the same, but we're made up of the same stuff, right? We're, we're, we're the same species. He doesn't really, I don't think he gets that. He doesn't understand that just as I didn't as a kid. But I think when you get older, and and we mentioned it earlier it's it's not only knowing that they're made up of the same stuff but they were also created uh like like peter said earlier in the imago day right in the image of god that they are um image bearers of of who god is and i think there's a 
you know, that's affected, that's, a, and we talked about it earlier, but that's affected my work even on Twitter or in a column when I want to make a joke of like, okay, is this, is this honoring that person, you know? And, and there'll be times where I I'm on the line of that and I don't know if it is. And I usually, you know, I've erased a bunch of stuff. Um, probably had some stuff out there that I wish I could have erased, but, um, at least, you know, jokes that I've made on Twitter or whatever, but that's kind of how I, I view, um, all of that. I want to come back to your article cause, um, you know, some of the people from our church, uh, you know, that this podcast Broadcroft partner with shared it and what led you, I mean, cause the story is, you know, Rory McElroy, which by the way, um, he's marrying, um, a woman from the Rochester area. So we have to drop that in there too. Um, they talk about it all the time. He's but, married to her. They're already, oh, they're, ma- they're married. Already married. Yeah. See, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a lay golf person, but she's from, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like you. So there we go. But uh, Aronda Coit, uh, anyways, but, um, you just lost all your street cred on, on, uh, I never said, golf. I yeah. never said I had street cred on golf. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. But anyways, um, you know, you talk about him weeping at the end of the Ryder cup and you've kind of hinted it's about relationship, you know, kind of walk us through the behind the scenes. Um, you wrote that very quickly after the Ryder cup, you know, where were you at personally? Why did that hit you so much? What, what led you to write that article about the weeping and the relationships? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I love the Ryder cup and I think it's super interesting because so, so often these guys golf's professional golf is weird in that it's very individualistic. Whereas most other golf, like if you and I go play golf, it's very relational and, and professional golf is a little bit different in that. And for so much of these guys careers, they're, they're paying people to believe in them, right? Mm -hmm. They're paying a coach to believe in them. They're paying a caddy to believe in them. And then for this one week of the Ryder cup, everybody congregates and they all believe in one another, not because they're being paid or because they're forced to, but they just, they just have a belief in one another as a team. And I think it, that's true in other sports, but it hits harder in golf because we have the other two years worth of that not happening. So it's kind of a juxtaposition, but I was standing right next to Rory when he came off the course, I listened to those. I was like right behind the cameraman and I listened to those interviews and I saw him walk up to his wife, Erica, uh, who's very, she's a very, kind, sweet person. And, uh, she just hugged him and he just like fell apart. And I was so struck by like, I didn't really know why he, he was so, I mean, those are very emotional weeks anyway, but he's not normally, he, he specifically is not normally like that in terms of just crying and being so emotional. So I, I, I called him on or I asked him if I could call him and, and we talked on, uh, Monday, I was getting ready to, to fly home and I was like, man, what, what was like, what was the deal? Why, like, why did all that happen? You know, the way that it did. And some of it is just the emotion of the week. And he kind of alluded to that, but I think it was this idea that when you get sent out on Sunday, you play singles on Sunday. So it's one-on-one and to Europe, to the European team, it's a big deal whoever goes first, that's a big deal to them. That's like, a, um, it's like the leader of their team, even if it's not maybe the, the best player in that week. And Rory wasn't playing well at all that week. He was playing terribly. 
And he told me, he was like, I was supposed to go out 11th and I went out, um, or excuse me, I was supposed to go out 11th and some guys got together and were like, Hey, Rory doesn't go 11th on Ryder cup Sunday. And he was like, it just, it meant so much that the rest of my team believed in me. And obviously he's historically great, um, four majors, all, you know, everything that he's done, but he was so moved emotionally by just the belief of these other guys who have not accomplished what he's accomplished largely in professional sports. So that to me, that relational aspect of him being moved, not by winning or losing or anything like that, but just the, but just by the belief of other people in him. I mean, that's powerful, right? Because that's what we talk about when we talk about community at church or when we talk about encouraging one another, um, in, in either in the faith or just even in our communities with, with believers and non-believers. So that was just really, that like really hit my heart pretty hard. And I think that that kind of hopefully came out in that piece as people read it. Why did it hit you so hard? Why was it so personal? Uh, because it's just a, it's a, it's a picture of how we're supposed to treat one another right? To, to believe in one another, to care for one another. And, you know, I think that over the last 18 months that has been absent, um, in a lot of ways related to the, the pandemic related to, um, just all sorts of things. And so it was just, it was just a picture of like the way that as humans we're supposed to care for and love one another. And it wasn't a full picture, but it was a glimpse of like, Hey, this is like, this is what the Bible, this is how the Bible tells us to treat one another. And that wasn't the context in which it was presented obviously, but that doesn't make it not true. You know, that is how we're supposed to like love and care for one another. And so it was just a really, um, I just thought that was really sweet and it was really a, a moving thing to me. So I know, <laughs> I know that Peter is going to move us back towards like, um, Bible questions and things like, or, you know, <laughs> what does Jesus think about this? But, but I'm curious, so I, like, I, I just joked with Peter that he lost all his golf street cred. I don't have any golf street cred either, just for what it's worth. But, um, I'm, I'm curious, like what, what, uh, this really has nothing to do with hero worship. Um, but like what, 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 should, what, you know, what as, as a lay golf person, which uh which event do you recommend that we should be watching but my other question actually connected to that is is there a movie that you really like that you feel like um encapsulates uh, there is a connection here by the way oh yeah that, uh, that encapsulates certainly golf but also some of the themes that you were just talking about is there something that can kind of capture that spirit yeah that's a good question i don't watch a ton of movies i think that Honestly, one of my favorite TV shows ever is Friday Night Lights, and I think there's a lot of relational depth in there also that I was really attracted to and compelled by. That's obviously not golf, but that that's kind of the first one that, that came to my head. Um, in terms of watching, you know, it is... Man, there's, there's so many different directions to go with that. The, the best spectating experience I've ever had is the Ryder cup. It is a, it's a college football game on a golf course, which sounds really weird. But if you've been to one, that's 
how you feel. Um, it, it, it's hard to go to one because it's hard to get, there's, there's not that much going. I mean, everything's very consolidated at a Ryder cup because there's only four matches going on at once or whatever. And so it's hard to get a good spectating spot, but if you can, it's a, it's a really thrilling thing. Um, and then other than that, I think the masters and the open championships, so the British open, um, which Peter thinks happens in September. Uh, apparently. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, it's all good. Both, both of those. I haven't been to an open championship. I've been to the masters probably 10 times or so. And the masters is, it's everything, you know, Scott Van Pelt said this one time, he said, it's the only thing in sports that not only lives up to what you think it's going to be, but surpasses it. And that's how I would also describe the masters. And then the open championship is, is just so different than what we see here in the United States in terms of golf. It's, um, it's links land. It's usually by the North sea, um, over in Scotland or England. And it's just a, it's a, it's a very different, unique thing that I think is a ton of fun to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that might be my favorite one to watch on TV and to experience. Cool. Thank you. I mean, I feel like maybe I need to like, you know, sign up for one of those one week trials of Hulu or something just so I can watch the golf channel for a week or something. I don't know. (laughs) So, you know, we'll, we'll close with this and I just love our time together. I know a lot of our listeners are golfers, even though I'm not. And, you know, in some ways, you know, we're asking you to teach us, uh, maybe you like these interviews better. So, but, um, you know, there's a lot of rise and falls, um, in golf and athletes. And I guess this is just my perception. It seems like the falls are greater and we want less people to come back. Um, you know, it's the great American story about coming back. And, and I guess as a, as a follower of Jesus, as someone that loves sports, I mean, talk to us about what you're kind of feeling about the rise and fall of athletes and coming back and kind of what you see that maybe we don't see in these conversations. Um, as we think about this question, why do we worship athletes? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think we love the rise and fall because redemption is imprinted on our hearts, right? Like that's the story of, that's the story of the world. It's the story of humanity. And so that is, that is one aspect of it in terms of the redemption story. I think that so much of what we see is just what we see. And what I mean by that is we watch for three hours on a Sunday or whatever, two hours on a Saturday, whatever day of the week you're watching. And it's like, man, do you know how many hours went in on Monday, on Tuesday, on the three weeks leading into this? And, and I think that hit me this year with, with Jordan Spieth's story. So he was, you know, the wonderkind and like just, uh, three majors by the age of whatever he was, 23 years old and just fell off for the last couple of years. And it's so difficult when you've been number one in the world, when, you know, you have everything right there in front of you and then you can't find it. Like you can't, you can't, you can't find your swing mentally. You're lost. It's just, it, it's, it's way harder than like never having been there. Cause you're like, well, I know that's in there and I, I, 
but now I can't find it. And the way he has talked about how hard he grinded and how hard he worked and how much, not only physical effort he put in, but just mental grind he put in like that's, that stuff is, I think really meaningful. And, um, so yeah, that's just a, you know, I don't know that anybody feels like ever really felt that bad for Jordan Spieth because he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and like won three majors and all this stuff. But I think a redemption story like that is, it's really sweet. And it's, and it's, it again is just, that's imprinted on our hearts. So I think it resonates anytime somebody comes back from kind of this, the depths, he was ranked like 98th in the world. He was the 98th best golfer in the world. It's not exactly the depths, but for him it was because he used to be number one. He used to be number two. He won the Masters. He won the Open Championship. He won the U.S. Open. So um, that's kind of one example of um, what we see when kind of the, the rise and fall of, of players over the years. So let's just do two final questions. I, I guess, um, you know, you don't always get to give this feedback, so I want to kind of give it to you. How can we be better fans of sports? Yeah, that's good. Um, I think the thing that I learned in this transition from a college student to an adult fan into an adult kind of participant in the festivities, even though I'm not playing, I'm, I'm there and I, I you know, there, there's a part of that that's uh, participation is just to keep your loves ordered properly, right? Keep keeping your love for the Lord ordered in, in the way that it should be, which is more than you love golf, more than you love the masters, more than you love the Ryder cup, which is hard for me. Cause I really love the Ryder cup. Um, it's keeping in September. those loves in September. Yes. Um, <laughs> sometimes October. Uh, those things are very easy to make ultimate because they take up a lot of our time. You know, they take up a lot of our time and energy and, and, um, and so to keep, to keep your loves ordered properly means that when you watch the Ryder cup and when you see something like we saw, or you watch the masters that it rolls up into thankfulness to the Lord that we get to experience these things that when I go play golf with my friend tomorrow on a beautiful day in October, where the, the leaves are falling and it's kind of crisp outside. Like if like that's worship, man, you know, I, I think that we think of Sunday mornings singing songs or prayer or whatever as worship. And those things are certainly worship, but the expression of worship outside of what we think of tr as traditional ways to worship the Lord is so meaningful and it can happen in golf. You know, I, I, I encourage people to, um, play more and watch less because I think that play, going out and getting in nature and playing golf is, is, is an expression of worship to the Lord. You're enjoying his creation. You are, um, being able to, to relationally be around other people. And that's just, that can be such a sweet way to worship God that I think people, um, don't often think about. Well, we close every episode, uh, by asking what does Jesus have to do with this topic? So the good news is, is that, um, myself and Aaron are going to answer that question and then you get to clean up any of the heretical mess. Does that sound good? Perfect. Uh, so that's great. Aaron, you, 
who's going first? Me I or you? I can go first if you want. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, because I actually, I think that the answer that Kyle just gave is actually awesome. I mean, ordering your loves. I think that's so uh, a powerful um, a statement, a way to think about this. I think Jesus would want us to order our loves correctly. And um, one of the things that I, I was picking up during this conversation, in addition to what you just said, uh, when you order your loves correctly, it actually makes the sports richer. I mean, you were talking yeah. about that even with, you mentioned Friday Night Lights and some of the themes that are in there is because there's there's something deep in that that resonates with us or with or the certain player and their redemption story or whatever the case may be, there's something deep there. But that depth comes from us remembering the right order of things. When we start putting, uh, you know, when we put them in the wrong order, that's I think when we start to get ourselves in trouble with, with worshiping the wrong things and um, and then we start tearing each other down and things like that. But anyhow, I just, I loved that. So I probably didn't need to add all that in there but because he already said it so well, but I'm just gonna, I add my part. All right, go ahead. It, it's all good. You know, <laughs> um, I think the thing that's standing out to me about this episode, and I think it's important for our listeners, is the reminder that, you know, these athletes that we quote unquote worship are created in God's image. And, you know, as you read the New Testament, um, you know, Jesus seems to meet people where they're at. And I, I dreamt of being a basketball player. I know that those of you watching on YouTube and listening says he, you know, he talks like he's seven feet, but I'm actually five, five, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think about how we might meet an athlete, um, in person, um, but we will engage some of them on Twitter. And I think it's a reminder that there's families, there's, there's personality, um, and just kind of what how God has related to us individually. I, th I think this is a good episode in the world that we live in today to, to look at people in the value of God's image and look at athletes and engaging them. And I loved what you said about critiquing that if it's something that's not subjective, but very objective, you know, that's seeing someone in God's image. So I'm leaving with that of treating people how Jesus would and not letting their status or position, um, you know, affect that in a way that would be detrimental to them. So that that's my thought. What about you? Well, I think, I think what you guys both just said in order is love God and love others. And that was, was Jesus's command in the new Testament, right? Is love God and love others. And I think sometimes we complicate that, um, I, I think sometimes we like to complicate that because we, we just, we think there should be more than that. And there is in a lot of ways, but it's good to, to go back to that, you know, to simplify it into, Hey, what are we commanded to do? We're commanded to love God as Christians. We're commanded to love God and to love our neighbor, to love those around us, to love others. And I think that the way you guys just summed it up was exactly that. And um, so there's nothing to clean up. I, I just kind of summarize rather than cleaning up. Love it. Well, Kyle, uh, I, I think you said that the best place to follow you, of course, is cbssports.com and Twitter. Is there anywhere else? No, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Twitter uh, at Kyle Porter CBS and then cbssports.com slash golf. And um, most of the stuff on there is mine. We have some other stuff occasionally from other people, but, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. 
Well, Kyle, thanks for carving out some time for us. I know that our listeners really appreciated this. And uh, if you want to follow us on uh, uh, the podcast, the best way to do that, go to whygotawhypodcast.com, click the subscribe button, and then uh, you'll get this episode and other episodes every week. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.